You're walking in the woods and you find yourself lost. But what's that? A house in the distance? You stumble towards it, hungry and cold, wanting more than anything to be out of the elements. You knock on the door. And who answers? It's us, the pod people, America's premier horror podcast, all alone out here in the woods. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm plump and firm and delicious. <laughs> I am Ben Sheets, the rotund treat boy. I'm Cleveland Mosier, and I'm just a bit of yesterday's bread or perhaps a crumb of cheese. Why, there's more gravy than of grave about me. <laughs> From the bottom of the ocean to the deepest, darkest depths of the forest, we're back with a brand new review of the brand new film from uh, director Oz Perkins, Gretel and Hansel, starring Sophia Lillis, Samuel Leakey, and Alice Krieg. And I don't feel like I need to give you the summary because you've probably heard the fairy tale before, so yes, you know what's, it what's is going on. A take on the classic Crim's fairy tale. Yes, a um, a dark reimagining. A very yes. grim one. <laughs> it, uh, it does do a bit of its own thing. You it know, does. there's a reason it's called Gretel and Hansel instead of Hansel and Gretel. Um, obviously, it's much more focused on Gretel and her coming of age. Yes, um, it is a classic coming of age tale. Yeah. So as we mentioned, this is from uh, the the director of The Black Coat's Daughter, Oz Perkins, which we have talked about on the show. Uh, Cleveland and I really love that movie. Yes. I know you're slightly less hot on it, Ben, but, but I uh, thought it was pretty good overall. Yeah. Uh, so this is a movie that we've been anticipating fairly uh fairly well and uh this was a weird one not what i was expecting it wasn't what i was expecting either that's for sure but we can get into before it before we get too far into the details of the movie i just want to quickly mention our theater experience yes let's get that out of the way <sighs> uh because that might play into a little bit of our opinions of the movie i'm yeah. sure even if it's subconsciously this may have been the worst theater experience i've had since the time we had to leave happy death day to you because of the jackhammering yeah i cannot ditto that same enough. theater ironically right. yep. in the same exact theater like not only like the theater it's cursed the same multiplex but the same literal theater i at be hollowed ground <laughs> Everybody in this movie was fucking obnoxious. People talking, like, yeah. people were taking pictures. Yeah, there were literally more than once people fucking taking photographs, like, with the flash. There were multiple accounts of people just standing up in one spot for a solid yep. minute yeah, and a half. Yeah, just standing in front of the screen. <laughs> Constantly people talking, uh, laughing. It was obnoxious this crowd, as well. Like, this crowd was fucking rough. And on top of that, too, the the audio was messed up. There were a couple of loud moments during the movie, like, where it peaked, and the lows were muddy. It was, like, I think that, like, some of the speakers had blown or something. Like, it was yeah, really yeah. hard to, to hear the audio. And it was, like, if this theater had been silent, it would have been, like, difficult enough. But with people chatting over it, there were times where yeah. I could not hear what they were saying, like, over the people and over the, the poor audio quality. And it's, like, for a theater-going experience, it's just not... It's ah, not good. It was really frustrating. So, yeah, was... like, 
I yeah. I really want to see it again already just so I could get like a more like fair take on the film because it it wasn't fair to the movie like it's a hot bummer cuz one of the pratfalls of seeing a PG-13 horror movie opening weekend you know, in yeah, the Saturday late afternoon, afternoon mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you get you get a PG thirteen crowd. Yep, and uh, a lot of we lot of teen got that. A lot of teenagers, and it's audience, funny because you know, this movie uh, definitely isn't catered towards that crowd per se. I mean, I think that no, that horror not. crowd is much more accustomed to jump scares and active participation in horror movies which i mean if you're gonna do jump scares you you want active participation but that's not this movie which is interesting because like this film hits a a a fun like i thought it was fun but i could also see it not being fun uh middle line this movie does a lot and it's like it's pretty constant and like not action-packed in the traditional sense, but there's usually always something macabre and stylized going on during the film. Well, it is It is definitely heavily stylized. Yeah. It's, yes. it's interesting that you would describe it as almost action-packed because I found a lot of it very boring. I would agree 100%. I, I think structurally it lends itself to being kind of boring, too, with uh, a lot of the big horror set-piece sequences being followed up with uh, Sophia Lillis, who plays Gretel, waking mm. up, uh, which kind of undercuts a lot uh, of waking up from dreams, which I think I didn't hate is not terrible at first, but I the it fact becomes, that it, it becomes tiresome. I think. It becomes a motif where it keeps happening over and over lessens the effect of it for me. Overall. Yeah, I found this this movie to be a really good atmosphere piece. I think the style is uh, insane. Uh, I it was gorgeous. One of I, one I, of the I most beautifully agree. shot. Movies I, I I've think seen in a I long think uh, stylistically that stuff is probably the best part. That and the score I thought was was pretty solid. Which I'll take Though a moment I, to bring up. <laughs> Music by Rob. <laughs> Last scene in uh, Amityville: The Awakening. Yeah, music by Rob. I we saw that in the we saw that in the credits, and I was like, "Where the fuck have I seen that before? Where have I? I know we've talked about it on the podcast. Where have I seen music by it's, Rob? It was very funny. Like like the credits are very like stylized and old timey, and you're getting like all these like eclectic sounding names, and it's all very like eclectic and spooky, and then just like music by Rob, and uh, <laughs> it's very, very out of the blue. Long time listener will remember from one of our very early episodes when we talked about Amityville The Awakening. Yeah. This must have been cle- the, pre-cleaved uh, day. The pre-cleaved origin days. of Raisin Boy. The origin of Raisin Boy and music by Rob. Uh, so uh, I, I did think that the score was one was of the stronger solid. aspects um, of this movie. Going off of the, the visuals, though, while I think it was one of the best elements of the movie, I felt like a lot of it was style over substance. And on top yeah. of that, it really kind of felt like diet witch territory, where it was having a lot of the influence of the witch without really... Uh, without committing. Committing to yeah. it, you know? They didn't really commit to the, the period dialogue. They would go in and out of accents throughout the movie, I noticed. The British accent went in and out for... The, ch- the uh, little the children. boy. The, the little boy, boy especially. Specifically, yeah. 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 And... Uh, uh, I think the PG-13 element hurt that part as well. I think at its core, though, this movie felt like the studio had its hands in it. Because I feel like this could have been a better R-rated horror movie that was 
kind of cut down to PG thirteen. I yeah, I think and if, added things to make it more clear. I think they could have leaned in a little bit harder to the macabre and taken the R rating. And and I think I I think that this is a case where unlike underwater, the PG thirteen rating uh, did did hurt it a little bit. At least for me, um, it still got more gruesome at times than I was expecting. Yeah, um, one particular set piece. Can I can yeah. I throw on my my piece on that? Absolutely. All right. I, I got the vibe that like we weren't getting a a witch kind of movie i don't necessarily think that the the witch has like all the real estate on period piece horror i think it's a very good period piece horror film and it's very subtle and it does everything that it does perfectly but this movie i don't think it was trying to do that i think it was it was still trying to be like a children's fairy tale horror movie and that's that's a very different objective than trying to be the witch i don't think ben is saying that the witch holds the real estate on period piece horror horror films, but if you were to say that this film was not heavily inspired by The Witch in terms of its style, then I don't know what to tell in you. Terms I mean, sti- yes. uh, lighting, in mm-hmm. terms of lighting, in terms of long takes, in terms of pacing in a pacing lot of ways. in several ways, yes. Uh, and I mean subject matter. It's a witch movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not It's not to say that the witch is the only way to do this. And I think that as a fairy tale kind of story, this works pretty well. But it does still feel like it's wearing so many of the influences of the witch on its sleeve. But like Ben said, diet. And I think Mm. you posed an interesting idea there, Cleve, where you mentioned, you know, this movie is catered as a kid's fairy tale. Right. It's a dark reimagining. The the thing about it is, though, is it really doesn't have the pace to cater to that audience. It is a very slow, methodical, borderline boring movie at times, especially for kids. And if you're catering it as a children's fairy tale, that doesn't really convey itself through the tone of the movie. It's very much like a fairy tale for adults, but it still has like the structure of a child's fairy tale. It's very sort of unspecific in a lot of its events. There's large jumps in time. There's characters that, you know, serve only a a sort of uh, metaphorical purpose uh, and then are gone. The Huntsman being a great example of that. And I think that in terms of like, capturing the way a fairy tale feels it does a really good job of that but it's kind of weird that it's trying to be a fairy tale for adults but still kind of has a childishness to it the the whole crux of the movie is Gretel's coming of age. Right, exactly. So, you know, she's she's going from being a child to a to mm-hmm. a woman. Yeah. I will fully agree. Like I think I think that this film does strike a very strange chord and it it does sort of muddy its demographic. Like demographically the appeal for this is very odd because you know it's it's framed and shot like something like the witch like you say like very adult like themed horror film that gets you know like it's all it's all about the the meticulous like quality of the dialogue and you know but the artistry of it like this looks like an artistry film in every respect yeah including the the plot whereas the plot is very fairy tale it's very uh, pg-13 and i fully agree with that i really like that about it but i think i think that 
who else will like that about this movie? There's a very, it's a very small amount of people who will also I, well, like that. Well, the other interesting film. thing about it is I feel like a lot of the accessibility stuff that's in the movie that makes it feel more fairy tale esque, it felt like that was put in during post. You know, the, the voiceover, the strange beginning sequence where she's telling the story being in a different aspect ratio than the yeah. rest of the movie really screamed reshoot to me. Hmm. Um, having uh, the zombie ghoul come out felt like just a scare they added in as it didn't really have relevance to the rest of it. Right. It introduces them to the Huntsmen, but there are many other ways you could have done that. That was a kind of weird thing that I was expecting to have more relevance in the greater story, and then it didn't. What I'll say about the the Huntsmen sequence, I liked it because it helped us frame the rest of the world a little bit and we saw that they're just in a fairy tale world this isn't like a witch situation where the whole narrative could pretty well almost feel like it was set during a specific time in american history whereas this movie you get the vibe that there are like dragons and ogres and other like strange dryads and naiads out there which is fine which is not my problem with this movie i will say in comparisons to the witch like my problem is not that it isn't more realistic and gritty like the witches like the fantastic magical elements of it fine that i don't have any problem with i think that's honestly some of the more interesting yeah stuff. i almost wish they did more yeah with i kind of do too i feel like uh one of the biggest problems i have with this movie is it a lot of the times it's so style over substance that it feels a little pretentious where the the movie seems like it has more to say than it really is saying yeah. at any point. It's a very simple story overall and they don't really go as in-depth and really flesh things out as much as I would want. Yeah, well, I it, it also, like, you know, it starts with, like, a traditional kind of, like, fairy tale voiceover, like, gather around children, I have a story to tell you. You know, this may scare you, but it has, like, a valuable lesson in it, a lesson that it may, that may save your life. There are, like, direct references to, like, a darkness, which is, is, like, very mythological. Ever, I didn't ever feel like the movie actually did have a message, and to start with the film saying there's a lesson to be learned here and then what's the lesson the lesson is women's empowerment coming of age right and i mean I, that's the thing that's the thing that's the exact point they they yeah. that's a that's an idea but they're saying nothing about it <laughs> you know they they're stating what the theme is without like right. really well, delving in I mean all that's too much. that's what allegory is though right allegory uh, is not just referencing alleg- something yeah it's, allegory is that you make your point by using a different story not by saying this is what it's about and then telling the story that's not allegory yeah, well, and also it's not just referencing coming of age. It's having something to say about that. Yeah, well, you think like, like becoming a witch, like that is like a good like allegory for like womanhood. I, I just felt like it was underbaked for so much of the movie and a lot of the heavy lifting for that stuff was See, once in... again, I will go back to The Witch and say that that is also a coming-of-age story about becoming a witch, and it says so much more than this movie does. Well, yeah, and a lot of the heavy lifting story-wise in terms of that stuff is done in the last act, in the last 20-30 minutes to the point where it feels underdeveloped for the rest and then just thrown all in at the same time to the point where it 
almost feels a little silly. In the witch, like, Thomason comes into herself because she doesn't have a choice, you know? It really feels like she is making her own way and making her own decisions, uh, and that's what makes her ascension at the end kind of triumphant. She is, like, truly bucking what is expected of her as a young woman in the 1600s, whereas in this movie, like, the witch is many times just straight up saying stuff like, I know things that that uh, most people think women shouldn't know, and you don't need no man. It's like, you could do that way more subtly than just saying it. You know, that it takes the allegorical aspect away from it, and it just says hey, here's here's an idea, do what you want with it, rather than let me say something about this idea that I'm positing, you know? Yeah, like, that's where I would agree. I think it was, like, heavy-handed about it, but, like, it did say something. You know, like, it wasn't what without did, What that. did this movie say about uh, coming of age, in your opinion? I think that it, it gets into the idea of not having any agency over that. She starts by trying to buck that, like, societally, with the old lord. Um, creep. Yeah, the old, the, old, the old Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She continues to like sort of like re resist like that that part of her life, like to, to not become like her mother. There's a lot of like themes about motherhood in that, like where her, her brother sort of represents that caretaker role and that she sort of has to become that. The, the, the witch, of course, gets into that. And her story is also about that as well. I think there's there's plenty enough to say about motherhood in that film and how that's like foisted upon us and how it doesn't have to be even though the the witch had like bastardized that she was able to reshape that positively and and essentially become like a hopefully a good witch i think the seeds of all of those ideas are there i don't i don't feel like the the like it's the, like said straight up in the dialogue like when she's talking to her about her brother and like you know like you're you're essentially a mother to him you know and you don't have to be and like all that Stating it doesn't say anything beyond that. That's what I'm saying. The seeds are there, but they're not given room to actually grow into something that feels meaningful or like something that is worth taking away from it, I think. I think the idea that you're getting at of what motherhood means is an interesting one that I would like to see more of, that, you know, Gretel is kind of a de facto mother to Hansel, but that her own mother is, her own mother is just like, cartoonishly crazy yeah. in the one scene that we see her yes. in. And then she has this sort of new mother figure of the witch who like cares about, about Gretel, but is evil. And it's like, all of these things are there, but I would really like to see some kind of more meaningful development of those ideas. I would too. And I think that there's, there's a wealth of room for that movie to have developed those things. I agree. Like, yeah. in, in the fashion the witch did. I agree. But I don't think that that was the core intent of the film. The movie was just trying to tell a fun fairy tale movie. I'm thinking it had those themes there, and it did, like, still tie a ribbon around it at the end, but it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the ribbon. That's interesting that you mentioned that you thought they were trying to tell a fun fairy tale, mm -hmm. because... Because uh, I had fun with it. Well, I I think it definitely gets into fun territory in the last act, but I feel like it's so heavy into the coming of age stuff while not saying much that it doesn't scream fun to me until like 
it really goes wild in the end. I, um, and we'll talk more yeah. about that third I just, act. I there. think, like, from so, for I, me, like, I, like, there was always, like, something cool to be looking at. There was, like, that's, like visually, there was always, like, something to enjoy. Well, style over substance. Style-wise, it's gorgeous to look at. In that sense, it is fun. The design of things are fun. The, the weird, like, triangular house and, like, the weird shed and all of this stuff is fun designs the story and the movie i would not describe as fun at all i i just wouldn't and i know that like you're a visual artist so having cool stuff to look at is oftentimes enough for you i.e hagazusa sure but i don't think that any of the events of the movie are fun in the yeah. slightest. I will say the third act gets a little fun. Yeah, like I don't, with I don't some think of the that, sad pieces, but the majority of the movie, yeah. I would absolutely. Agree. The, I don't the think end that they is, do a disservice. Is a goofy. To it. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think like it in any way. Like it harms the film. The film like was seeking style over substance. Like I think it was, it was you, trying for that. Like you, you may be right. Like when I when I watch like a, a slasher movie, like I'm not I'm not going in asking for it to be like a deep allegory. If it is, it's nice and it's great. But like it doesn't have to do that. And like sure. I don't I don't hold that expectation over this movie. And that comes down to an extreme matter of taste. Yes. Well, and I think on top of that, you know, I think movies that tend to cater themselves to style over substance usually are brisker and less serious about their ideas than this movie felt like. You know, I felt like this movie really took itself seriously, which is part of the reason it was such a slow burn. And I I almost wish it really leaned into being, you know, fun style without taking its time as much. But, yeah, I think you can do I think you can do a dark reimagining while still capturing a sort of childlike sense of fun. I mean, a, a great tale. example of that is I think Argento's I work. Yeah, you know? that is a good example. You know, he does essentially fairy tales. Look at the original Suspiria, you know, it's it's a very dumb movie in a lot of ways, you know. What it's saying isn't smart. It's definitely style over substance. But the thing is it takes such a pace. There's a, a sense of camp to the point where you're not overwhelmed by the the quote unquote substance of the movie. I think honestly, I think that's a really excellent point because I I think of the the style over substance films that infuriate me the most, i.e., most of the works of Nicholas Winding Refn, and those movies I hate so much because. Not only is nothing happening, they're also extremely slow. You're absolutely right. I've never really thought of it that way, that if you're going to do a film that is mostly style, then it should be quick enough that it doesn't have time to get boring. Give me a plethora of style. Interesting. Because right. like uh, one of the, the small critiques I had for this movie was I felt like the cutting was actually a little quick and like they were trying a little bit too much. For instance, mm. there's a sequence during... When she's dreaming, I think it's the first time she's she's walking down the staircase into the the white like the white yeah. room. Her coming down the staircase is done in like four different shots, 
And like one of them is a behind the the shoulder shot where it's like tracking her head movement. Then there's like another one where it's like we're getting a close up of her face on the other side. And then we're panning out as well. And then there's a final shot of her coming down the stairs. And it's all in like just a couple seconds for like very different styles of shooting. And this movie like has a few sequences, mostly earlier on where there's like shaky cam, which well, I thought was uh, very weird. It was, and like uh, those body cams. Yeah, almost. body rigs. Yeah. There's a lot of that in this movie. Honestly, sometimes I it was like, really cool. I like that. That's it was only like, I like there was only like that once or twice. Like, like, like I didn't mind it when she was coming down the stairs there, but like when her and her brother were running like early on in the film, I was like, this is a born movie. Like what's going on? And then it didn't really get that bad ever again. But there was like once or twice. But I like, yeah, the, I, just, I like the body think, rig stuff. Yeah. yeah. My point is, is it was giving us like a big, a big feast of, of imagery the whole time. Which, uh, that, you know, that's, again, for, that's for sure. I mean, I, I feel like we've been spending a lot of this time so far being critical of the film. And I, I cannot stress enough that goddamn is it so good to look at it looks really nice the set design and the cinematography the production design in particular is really stunning yeah it's gorgeous incredible yeah and i mean even the obviously like post color grading they did and stuff like everything is highly saturated i thought it was gorgeous the uh, the one minor critique i yeah, have you and I on the the, the style of the movie while i think the production design is great and the cinematography often is great a lot of the the shot compositions uh, have the the subjects in the middle of the frame? There's a lot of symmetrical a lot of stuff. Symmetry and that paired with monochromatic orange throughout a lot of the movie. I felt like at times it wasn't the most engaging because you're just looking at one spot in the screen without moving your eyes much because everything is happening right in the middle. You're just looking at one spot and everything's happening in that one spot. Um, there wasn't quite as much variety as I would want. Um, the shot compositions themselves were good. I just, I, I almost wish there was more variety. In that instance, I'm going to disagree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really liked the symmetrical shot composition, and this is coming from someone who is hypercritical of Wes Anderson, and I don't really enjoy his work very much. Yeah. Maybe if it was less childish and, and darker, maybe that would do it for me. Maybe that's why I like it in this case, but <laughs> I, I actually... I actually really like uh, a lot of the symmetry, and weirdly enough, I also liked how much headroom they gave uh, the characters in a lot of the shots. That's kind of a uh, a, a traditional film school no no. They always tell you to not give the the actors a lot of headroom. Yeah, I like that too. It reminds and I, me. I actually of, uh, really like that makes, in this movie. It really makes like the forest feel like it's looming over them. And even, but even inside too, you mm-hmm. know, and like the the light is so uh, so stylized and largely uh one directional it just like really gives a lot of interesting negative space to have that much headroom above above the actors and the shots well, i love when and, they break the 180 too like after her and her brother like eat the mushrooms in the woods oh yeah we the should mushroom talk about the mushrooms yeah like i uh it was great how like they that's as far as they took it they did this back and forth between them and then the brother runs past and they just they the only thing they really play with is time for that and you see the bars bit. and how they look like trees and sound yeah, so, yeah there's yeah. no really psychedelic vision 
visuals. Yeah. They don't go it, midsummer. It's not a full midsummer. I, I really appreciated. I did. It's, it's yeah. a little more genuine. Like, and I, I thought that was fun. Um, I, really, I really liked that scene. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of fun. I, I actually, yeah, I do kind of like the headroom. Um, it reminded me almost of the movie The Farewell that came out last year. They played with headroom a lot in that. Um, but in this one, it really emphasized the ideas of isolation and yeah. uh, especially with the aspect ratio it was a fairly squarish aspect ratio i think it was four by three it was close yeah if it wasn't exactly it was very close which once again we've been talking about a lot on the show how many movies are all of a sudden doing like four by three yeah. aspect ratios this is an instance where i i thought it worked yeah I it, it immediately felt, it but made I didn't it, mind it, it made it feel claustrophobic I do want to mention once again that the opening sequence when she's retelling the story of the girl was in the little pink cat very yeah. much anamorphic widescreen mm-hmm. which was kind of jarring for the rest of the movie. I didn't mind the uh the the boxy nature. Yeah. I I think Another reason they might have gone with that aspect ratio is they use a lot of uh, extremely wide-angle lenses, like so wide that it starts to fisheye around the edges of the frame. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I love a good wide angle lens and I think that part of the reason they might have chosen to do it in a four by three aspect ratio is because if they had done it in, uh, in a full aspect, there would have been a lot more of, of the fisheye warping mm-hmm. around Especially the during the body. Yeah. The body I, I get, I get the impression that, that, that they did that to sort of cut off the most warped part of the frame, but so you could still have like those really stunning wides. Yeah. And I mean, there's times when you can do that and it works, like, see The Shining. Yes. You know? Or The Pilgrim. I mean, it just does it so well. <laughs> I was about to say, when you don't do it right. Right, then you, you get a pilgrim. pilgrim. But yeah, that that would make sense. One thing that I want to mention, because I think that it's important to qualify why I thought parts of this movie were boring, because I don't mind the pace. I do mind a little bit that the, that there's not a whole lot happening, but so much of the movie feels like very dreamlike, especially because she's constantly waking up from dreams. Is it a dream or was it not? Um, but, you know, it's playing with time and stuff with like the hallucinogenics and all of this stuff. It's very it's very dreamlike. And I think that that's fine. I think it handles a lot of that stuff quite well. My problem is surprisingly I think the direction in this movie was kind of bad. And I like Oz Perkins. I think the direction in The Black Coat's Daughter was really good. But I feel like this movie was kind of badly directed, especially the actors. Oddly enough, I wasn't a huge fan of Sophia Lillis. Me either. In this film. And I like her. And I like her a lot in It Chapter One and Two. Like, I think she's one of the better perform, one of the better young actor performances. Like I I've, think the directorial choice of trying to emphasize the flatness of her delivery. Everybody, everybody is so flat. That's my problem. A That's sort of Brissanian. Yeah, like the only like uh, characters we we get that have like a great deal of style to them and like are a lot more amped up are the the creepy lord because he's he's style is hell. He's great. Yeah, like he's he's and he's super like medieval picture booky. You know, yeah. like the yeah. Oh, yes, I'm so evil. You the know, over powdered like, face, face with. Like the blush on the and cheeks like the weird and like stuff. mirror framing next to him, yeah, like with the, yeah, like yeah. the candelabras. Like God, I love how that shot. But when anyway, he's only like, in that and, one and scene, mother, and like like who's really wacky, like crazy with the get out of my house with the axe. And I and I like, think and then everybody else, you 
you're right, is very like understated, and they the, feel like they belong in that world more than like our our focal character. The only might. character that I and, feel like the the kind of understated aspect works for is Alice Krieg, who's the witch. She's great. I thought she did quite well. Yeah, she's compelling. I, I really enjoyed her performance. Everybody else, I liked how understated and not over the top she was because you expect the witch character to be the kookiest, mm-hmm. and how she kind of wasn't was uh, was somewhat refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it, it did feel a little flat to me, and she's definitely nowhere near as good as the witch in Troll Two. Uh, oh, I'm, I mean, you know, like that's really the best witch of all time. But who frankly, is? You know, JK. Uh, I thought she was great. But yeah, I thought everybody else was really bad, and well, I and I think it's and well, I think it's it, been it understated and dry. And I I'll agree. Like I think I think that um, uh, our our Gretel and Hansel were a little hard to relate to, and I don't think the movie needed to change anything. Like you were saying with the pacing, like I, I think like I think starting the them out needing fine. to leave their home. Like we know the story, that's fine. You're right, but like yet yeah, during some of those scenes, if we'd had a little bit more like emotion out of them, we could have like sympathized with them a little bit better yeah. and related with the characters. Well, like, I'll agree with that. I was, I was really trying to figure out why I kept finding myself so bored because like I said I think the pacing is where it needs to be and usually boredom comes from a slow pacing and uninteresting action but I really think in this case it's just because I could not give a shit about the main character. I'm going to sound pretentious as shit right now, but it reminded me a lot of this French director, Robert Brisson. Oh, wow. He's he's known for having, you know, very flat delivery. You know, he emphasized to his actors, don't emote at all, don't express at all. And the idea is the stuff going on in the movies is so contemplative and thought-provoking that it doesn't matter. It's that, supposed that to wash over right. you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, where this movie, where the flatness isn't paired with that. So it just yeah. feels yeah. flat no, for no reason. I agree. We are su- we're supposed to be worried about the little brother, like when he like kind of disappears in the dream and you don't know, like which one yeah. I, I liked. But um, like I kind of like supposed him to be into the dream. Yeah, like yeah. he's, he's sort of like he takes the role of the princess in the tower in this, and like Gretel right. is supposed to you know do what she can to get sure, her back. Yeah. But we just don't have an opportunity to to know him well enough or to feel like he's anything other than like young boy who need help. And he's a bad actor. He's a really like, bad actor. Or at least he. Was was, you know he was he wasn't well enough directed like i liked his fake teeth i thought that was kind of fun like he had like the the grungy like peasant teeth like clearly he was wearing a piece for that and i think that might have been part of the problem is that that could have very well affected his delivery and there is there well, are a his, couple of factors his at play. problem is that it was a he was, is obviously a british actor uh who's being told to do an american accent which once again i think is a an interesting and somewhat misguided choice and he could not do a convincing american accent uh, yeah I, consistently I don't, consistently yeah, his, his times, accent was yeah, well, his, his accent was extremely inconsistent consistent and uh and i just like for man for a movie called gretel and hansel like i should fucking care about gretel and hansel god damn it and he that kid was just a bad actor but i can write that off as him being a child but like sophia lillis is a good young actress we have seen her be good under good direction yeah, we've seen her emote and 
in this movie, I couldn't give a shit about her because she doesn't emote at all ever. I'm not even saying I need her to talk more. I don't, I'm not saying I need her to have more lines of dialogue, but her face is just always completely monotone. She doesn't, yeah, and like, I think she smiles twice in the goddamn movie. Going back to the Robert Bresson thing, it's like, I'm okay with flatness if there's things to contemplate or the actions happening in the movie are super thought provoking. If the flatness is a stylistic you know? choice. Well, here, here's, here's like, the th- well, sorry, I think it was a stylistic choice. It just didn't have the weight to back it up. Well, here's, here's the thing. The movie starts with the kids being like thrown out of the house. Things are already terrible for them. Right. Like, whereas like in the original tale, like they're just going out to get food. I believe like their mother is sick or something. And like, yeah, they're, they're just trying to help their yeah. family. And um, there's still like a chance for them to go back and whatnot. Like there's there, well, yeah, the are, there are more get... there were actually there were more stakes in the original children's that's, fairy tale. That's the point of the trail of breadcrumbs because they're doing it so they don't get lost, and then they do get lost yeah. and and then find the witch. Yeah. Whereas like in this one, like they don't have an objective to get back to. No, and the they have don't... a vague objective of going to find like these these foresters so they can work and make some money, but it never feels like that's where they're really trying to get and that the events of the movie are hampering them from getting there. It doesn't feel like there's an end that mm-hmm. they're trying to reach, Which you know? I didn't hate because that does give us the the setup uh, and allows them to be at the witch's cottage longer. I think that's fine. Like, that they don't have as much of a reason to want to leave because them having more motive to leave would have made us like them even less. Like, yeah. it would have it just been the whole, like, get out of the spooky house situation. Right. And fortunately, like, the film is sort of saved of that a well, little bit. I, I really I really like the, the, the idea of, like, the witch trying to sort of adopt Gretel and, like, teach her to, like, use her inherent power that she has as, as a woman. Mm. And, like, I, I think that that is interesting. I don't think it's handled the best. I, I think, don't think it's... If, well, if the, we just the, had the, some opportunities. The sum of witch powers in this movie is Jedi Force powers. Well, that I'm okay with. But before, that's a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> um, uh, but just to for, put a little a wrap on uh, the, the emoting aspect of it. If we just had a, uh, a few moments like worked into those scenes of just the kids being a little bit happier. We just had some like some sweeter moments. Like if I'd had something to enjoy about them to be taken away, I would have been more concerned I, for them. We would have we would have just been a little bit more like worried like for uh, these these characters. And I don't feel like Gretel is ever torn between like this temptation of power and like caring for her brother. Like that's what we're told by the film that she is torn between, but you don't see it. She just seems flat and miserable the whole time. They don't do the work to back it up. Right. And I think it I think that the idea of the witch trying to sort of like draw out Gretel's power and like you know, induct her into this this witch coven or whatever, I think that that would have been way more interesting if it seemed actually appealing to Gretel and she had to be like, well, I this is the potential that I have, but my ultimate responsibility is to my little brother who I love. And I don't feel like I don't feel that emotion from her ever. That was a big problem for me. Yeah. If we'd had something to be taken away. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay. So sorry, your your point, Ben, about uh the... Force powers. Yes. Uh well the the entirety of witch powers that she's taught is just 
force powers and moving things with her mind. Yeah. Now that I, I wish there was more variety in that. I, we, get, we get a little bit of the, like, potion brewing. Yeah, I liked that And the tree stuff. sequence. I really liked the tree. I liked the tree sequence, too. The, and, and what I'll say, too, about, like, it being, like, force powers is I will totally agree, but that's largely because, like, Star Wars plays off of, like, the Campbellian, like, motto myth. It's all, like, coming from the same source. The movie is trying to be, like... An old mythos style where, you know, the hero has to, like, learn some sort of magic. And I thought that was fine, that it was like the Force, because the Force is like that. Like, I didn't, it's the same principle. I didn't mind it until the the climax sequence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved that's, it. Uh, that's, where, that's where it broke for me, and I'm like, this is fucking silly. Oh, I like silly. the silliness. I, I, the, I like the like, silliness, like the, too, honestly. The, yeah. the sequence where, like, she, the witch, like, first teaches her to, like, control the... The like it's not a broomstick, but it seems to effectively serve the same purpose. Yeah, uh, I thought that was was interesting. But yeah, at the end where it's like she's she's chained to the table and like Hensel's about to get it's into the, the cage to be roasted, yeah. and and she's just like reaching for the broom <laughs> across the way. She's just, going for the lightsaber. I, like, I that, it. that was too much oh, for me. Man. That was too that much was for great. me. I thought it was great. I wanted more of it. Like I yeah. well yeah, I wanted more of it because I. I felt like it didn't match the tone of the rest of the movie. I wish the rest no, of the movie like, was more there's ghoul, silly there's like, a, like a ghoul that. at the beginning. I think the I ghoul think didn't there's, do there's anything. Yeah. <laughs> he got shot in the head. Like, like through yeah, the exactly. head. Yeah, like, exactly. He got shot in the head immediately. <laughs> if you're going to establish ghouls, then give me more ghouls. Yeah, give me ghoul action. Yeah. <laughs> um, the f- most frustrating part of that, to me, in all honesty, was my favorite sequence of the movie was, Probably the same as mine. Uh, when we have the dream sequence of her in the white room, and the 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 faucet is yes. coming blood coming out of it, and it turns into like a dress as she comes. Uh, the witch comes out of the blood. The, the young version. Yeah, of the, the witch, young yes. version of the witch. It's, it's like a reverse of Wizard of Oz. Like that scene was fantastic. Yeah, and she I takes all the that. guts. It's so good. And pours it on the table. And and, and uh, then how she goes back as an afterthought to like a barrel and like pulls a child's arm out of it to add to like this pile of guts and then turns them into the the food that they've been eating the whole time. That see that sequence was fantastic. And I thought it was the most grotesque and the most evocative. Amazing the, that was PG thirteen. Spooky. Yeah, that's yeah. that was the scene where I'm like, okay, this is surprising for a PG thirteen. Yeah, it's like viscera movie. and um, gore like all over the table. And like that's, a kid's and arm, that's like... why I'm saying that I think the PG thirteen rating hurt this movie mm. because if it was R rated, they could have had more of that shit. Well, and, and that shit was awesome. If that's what you're gonna show me as like what witches can do in this world. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fucking Give cool. Give me more variety than just fucking Jedi mind power. You know, like that is so much cooler. And I know she's just learning how to be a witch. And it's the very beginning of that stuff. 
But still, there's you could have shown so us more of what on there. you could have shown us more what the the witch herself is capable. of. Yes, like Sophia Lillis is learning, so she's doing the basics. But I would have liked to see more of what. And that's Alice by far my favorite of. sequence in the movie. And I I loved it so much that I just was wanting more of yeah. that. Mm. You know, as much as as much as I will say that it is a little frustrating the the sheer number of dream sequences in this movie. I think that the sequences themselves are largely quite successful. Yeah. Uh, just the fact that it, she keeps waking up and it ends up being a dream is what I found a little bit tiresome. But even like the first time she goes down into that white room in the dream and she sees the table with like the children's bodies covered up and uh, and they keep whispering, don't look at us. And then she goes over and grabs the cloth and it turns red with blood. And then she wakes up and realizes that she's had her period and like gotten blood all over the sheets. That was great. Yeah. I thought that was good. I See, feel like I liked everything about the dream sequences because like it played into like the how the magic functions um and like the the sort of the the twist. It's not inherently film. it's not inherently the problem that there's so many dream sequences. Yeah, it's, very just, it's just the repetition of every time there's something spooky waking up from a dream. I think the problem that's kind literally of a, a tired horror comes trope. in the structure of showing the shot of her waking up. I mean, look at yes. Look at Suspiria, for mm. example. Yeah. Like the original Suspiria, there's a lot of dream sequences where you're not shown directly that it's a dream sequence, but from the events of yes. what's going on, you can infer that, that without literally needing to see, oh, she's waking without up. Every it time must it must have been a dream. Without mm. every time, like, the spookiness is about to climax that it smash cuts to somebody sitting well, up I, in bed. They, I agree They with even you. play with the idea of the line between reality and dream states in such a weird and interesting way that to have her literally shown waking up every time lessens that and weakens that in a lot of I ways. I think I me. think that it would have further enhanced the dreamlike quality of the movie and the disorientation of losing time and stuff if it hadn't shown her waking up every time. It being a dream is not the problem inherently. It's just that that's such an old, tired horror trope of something scary happening and then cut to the character waking up and, oh, it was all a dream. My, my thing about that, though, is, like, we're already in, like, a, like a, a high fantasy environment where, like, dream things can just happen. If we didn't get that then there wouldn't be any way to tell exactly that's not a problem i, I don't I think mind it's that. like the character needs to know like that's the no, no, no. Well, like, the like, character the... doesn't know that's the thing she says well, no, but she you just, know at she a point out. she thinks you know i think this is a dream but i don't know well here, you know? here let me let me offer let me offer an alternative example we'll just take just about any number of the dream sequences and say instead of them cutting from the dream you can still cut in the same place but instead of it cutting from her sitting up in bed and being like uh, just a dream. Sometimes even the voiceover saying it was just a dream. If they had cut from that to like her sitting at the breakfast table or something. Okay. Yeah. Then that still gives you the impression like, okay, it was a dream, but it's not explicitly saying this was a goddamn dream that she's just waking up from. It jumps forward in time and it's still 
creates the same effect without the the repetition of that same tired trope. Yeah. Or also if those dreams had also been in wide. I I wish they played with the aspect yeah, ratio. I think if, if, you're, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna have a different aspect ratio at all, then make it a theme and do it multiple times instead of just once. Yeah. Mm. I agree with you. Why don't we break into like the little little twist? We find out that the beginning story, the the opening sequence where the we girl, see the, the, the origin the of the witch, yeah. yeah, is we learn that the girl in the pink cap is not the witch. She was the daughter of the witch. I loved that because they they played in this idea of Gretel having sort of been imbued with this story, like that yeah. they had this sort of this this connection, you know, and that there was like there's sort of like a psychic resonance, and that she had sort of received it wrong. You know, like it had it hadn't been picked up properly, and that the the child is the villain. But well, really yeah, the it's villain... like a, a game of telephone. Yeah, and well, the child, the little girl, was still the, the villain. villain. Right, right, right. Alice Creed the even witch. says right, right. she even says yeah, like I even hated my own daughter because she was evil, and then, <laughs> Sorry, and, then I, and then I decided to eat her mm-hmm. and become a witch myself. I guess okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I love that. Like I I think it gave her like a lot more life, and like not necessarily like relatability. But it it did like humanize her more. I think I think it's interesting. I think that it is kind of undercut by the opening sequence. And allow me to offer <laughs> an alternative, uh, sort of going off of Ben's suggestion that that opening sequence was a reshoot. I didn't think of that until you mentioned it, but I think you might be on to something <laughs> because if I look at the rest of the movie. Without the reshoot, without that sequence, that opening sequence of the story of the girl in the pink cap, it is mentioned enough in the movie and represented visually in a subtle enough way that I think you could do easily without that opening sequence and it would be far more interesting absolutely because you have this idea of this story that scared them as children of the girl in the little pink cap hansel keeps wanting to hear and hear again and gretel says no i'm not telling you again because you're gonna it's gonna scare you and you're gonna start seeing things and you know she says that and we get the little visual representation there's always these hooded figures in the woods that have like the same kind of hood shape as like the girl in the little cap and I think that that stuff and we even see her in dream sequences a couple of times like the sequence where Gretel is in the Lord's house and all of the children are in the mirrors behind her and she sees the 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 little girl in the pink cap in the corner and she goes to touch her and her head falls off I think all of that would have been so much more evocative without the introductory sequence because then it's like we have this vague idea of what this story is that scares them so much and then finally when Alice Krieg reveals that the girl in the pink cap was her daughter and it's not just a story about this witch that we're seeing that would have been a much more satisfying and interesting resolution i think it would have been having it at the beginning i think it would have been more substantial yeah, yeah like absolutely I think, I think that personally i 
enjoyed the the opening sequence a lot. I liked the way it was shot. I, I liked yeah. the content. I love the it. style of it. And I think it. I think it hurts the narrative substance. overall. Yes. Yeah. And I'll, like, I'll agree with that. I mean, I think I that think, I think that the 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 enchantress figure who with the the, the black veiled face and like the broad brimmed hat and that like weird triangular structure that she's sitting in on top of the hill thought all of that was very cool dope to look at but i do think that it hurts the i i think it hurts the story a little bit and i think that's why you're on to something ben that it feels almost like the the film was shot originally without that and then in test screenings people were like i'm confused what is the thing about the little girl with the pink hat what and the studio is like all right oz you need to you need to make this a little bit clearer because people are not getting it well and the fact that it's the only thing in a different aspect ratio Big does deal. not scream intentional as much as i wish it would the other thing i think that might have been added a little bit sprinkled in was some of the voiceover some of it works for me but I think a lot of it explains more than needs to be explained. I honestly think I would have appreciated this movie more if it was more obtuse and had less voiceover overall. Generally, I would fully agree. Most of the time, I can think of several examples where direct voiceover uh, hampers a film. Blade Runner is a great example of that. Um, but uh, in this circumstance, I think it enhances the style of the film being that it's, you know, it's like a children's fairy tale. And I feel like the story is being read to me, like in her narration. I, I, and agree I, with I, thought, you. I thought it worked. I agree with you. I think it's I think there's a little bit too much. My I think question, that's what Ben's saying. My I question, think- too, is do you think that stuff. If not all of it, some of it was added after test screenings in post. I think some of it. I don't think all of it. I think that from as as a stylistic decision, having voiceover in a film that is a fairy tale story is obvious. If you're trying to make a fairy tale, you do voiceover. I think that that makes perfectly good sense. It did feel a little bit too explicit at times where it's like we don't trust you to quite understand what's going on so i'm gonna tell you about it i'm not advocating at all for the removal of the voiceover just use it a little bit more sparingly and i think it would have been more effective it's one of those things where since this was released by (laughs) fucking orion coming back after a decade you know i feel like the confidence of like your A24 isn't quite there. Yeah. You know, they're not confident enough to trust that their audience is smart enough to understand that shit. And I might be misremembering this, but didn't A24 produce and distribute the Black Coat's Daughter? We can check real quick. I don't know for sure. It's I might be I might be right. making that up, but uh if that is the case, I would not be I would not be surprised if you're right. Like A24 is as far as I'm concerned, like just about the best production company out there right now. Cause like anytime I see a 24 in front of a, a trailer for a movie, I can pretty much be guaranteed that I'm going to enjoy it. They are very much about like letting artists make their art uh, on their own terms. And I respect the fuck out of that. 
It was not a. It was not a twenty four. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, but, I, I loved it like I loved. But nonetheless, movie. you know, they had the confidence. To... My point. My point still stands. Who well, did produce that? It wasn't Zed Ryan. Filmworks. Uh, <laughs> it was no. Very very. Zed Filmworks. Never heard of that. So it wasn't Orion. Is the point? So like your your point still stands. Right. Yes. Geez. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not. That's not a knock on Orion. Uh, Orion did produce uh, the new Child's Play. Yeah, movie, which I thought was which great. I liked a lot, but also. Very different. Very films. different. You know, very very different. I, I wouldn't say the new Child's Play is in a, in intellectual or particularly artistic or restrained film. No, none of these yeah. things. By the way, Cleveland, quick sidetrack. Did sure. you uh, recognize Alice Krieg? You of all people, no. She's the Borg Queen. <laughs> Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you of yeah. all people. Oh, shit, of all people. people. She is the Borg Queen. She's the Borg oh, Queen. Um, yeah. Alright, well, so, uh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, time to red letter media all over this podcast. Here we um, go. Uh, what have I done? Sorry, well, yeah, you let you let it out of the cage. We could have gone without uh, doing a, oh, by the way, in Star Trek a bit. But here we are. Yeah, actually, the Borg Queen is one of, personally, my least favorite things about Star Trek. I think she's great. Like, I don't think that she's the problem about it she's very charismatic and fun but that's not what the borg call for sure um uh, i'll take your word for it the the majority of the borg in star trek are are like are a hive mind collective entity that like come out of the darkness of space to make you like them that's terrifying once you put like a queen behind them or like a, a singular entity that can be killed it makes them way less scary um and they don't until much later on i think it's either in the movies or in star trek voyager where we see like her appear she's great like her all of her scenes in it are, are very well worth watching but it does kind of hamper like how cool the borg are she's very fun i'll um, take your word for all of that but i will say i agree with you in principle yeah. i have not seen it the borg are rad and, and lovecraftian and spooky and that's cool that she yeah she kind of tries to assimilate her um, um, this. Very fun. Do you guys have any other specific instances you want to talk about, or should we rate? Um, I'm good to rate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can say my bet during my writing. Uh, well, why don't you start then? Okay. Um, I think I think that uh, you guys are are right about like style over substance. I think this this film is very much so that I think it does style extremely well. It is a little hampered like in the substance department, and there are plenty of films that do give you both. The Witch, um, The Lighthouse, The Witch, Lighthouse, It, uh, uh, it Follows, yeah, or even like the the Good Cut of Blade Runner, like like the there, Black are, there are plenty Daughter. of examples, um, uh, yeah, of of those types of films. Um, yeah, the Black Coast Daughter is a great example. Um, but I don't think that I do like favor one over the other, even though like I am an artist. I I have a great deal of love for both. Sure, but I do not feel I need both to have a very enjoyable film experience. I can be very very happy with one or the other. There are plenty of examples of dry, non like visually stunning films that. I love because they're well written. But in this case, I thought it was fine because it's trying to tell a monomythic, you know, like children's fairy tale with a spooky aesthetic where, you know, it is kind of hampered is in like some of the acting and delivery. We don't get enough uh, emotion out of our Gretel. Uh, but uh, beyond that, for me, that's a very it was a very minor thing. I think I need to watch the film again. So my rating is going to be more tentative than it usually is because of our horrible viewing experience with some people talking during the movie. It was Taking very pictures. it was extremely distracting and it was constant. Yeah. Like I, I felt like I was being gaslit 
So my, my writing's very tentative. I'm going to be watching this film again. Honestly, like, I, I just, I loved the style of it, like, so much. I had a wonderful time, like, in spite of the audience around me. I'm still going to give it a 4.5. Like, I really loved this movie. Wow. And I recognize it for its problems, but for me, what it did for me was very good. And y'all are welcome to any other opinions. I don't think that people are wrong for not liking this movie. I will say uh, that I, I don't think that style over substance is inherently a negative thing i think in many instances it is uh just because like i i there's something that i can look at that is like very nice to look at but if it doesn't speak to me on a level other than its technical mastery then it feels kind of empty to me i wouldn't go so far as to say that this movie is that i definitely think that the style takes extreme precedence over the substance but god damn is it good to fucking look at like the real heroes of this film are the cinematographer the uh the production design team the art team all of that they knocked it out of the park like i would be hard pressed to think of a film as beautiful to look at as this movie, maybe since something like The Fucking Lighthouse, you know? And I will happily watch this film again to enjoy the beauty of of it and the aesthetic. But, man, the acting is just leaves so much to be desired, and I really think it's a direction problem more than anything because... We've seen I, her. Like, we've, yeah, well. we've yeah. we've seen we've seen these these actors before give good performances. You know, I think that this is an example of 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 bad direction, and it hurts me a little bit to say that because I do like Oz Perkins, and I do think that like The Black Coat's Daughter was one of my favorite films of the de- last decade. This one was a bit of a disappointment for me. I still enjoyed more than i disliked but marginally i'm gonna give it a three out of five i think argento this is not no. uh <laughs> you know i appreciate style over substance you know fuck i'm the one of the biggest defenders of suspiria on the podcast you know or just like over like style you know, movies like on yeah the i yeah. i appreciate style in movies even if the movie is dumb as hell what I have a problem with is this movie had a lot of interesting things going on, especially in the style department. And I almost feel like I rate it more harshly because of that, because, (laughs) you know, it had so much things going for it that like to fall on its face and act like it had something important to say when it was really fairly hollow in, you know, what it was trying to say and the execution of the thematic material it just really left me empty um i like both of you you know i really like the the look of this movie and uh you know the the score was good but overall like it just left me empty and i felt like this movie was compromised by the studios i feel like if you took out a lot of the voiceover, if you took out the opening intro cutscene, if you trusted your audience to 
connect the dots. It would have been a more interesting enjoy movie. A, uh, and, you and know, and a dreamlike film. Yeah, yeah, give me a more obtuse film. But as in the state it's in right now, I'm going to give it a two out of five. I'm not a wow. fan. Oh, I'm wow. not a very big fan of this one. Before I give our average rating, let me ask you guys this, because I think that this film suffers a lot of the same issues. This or Hagazusa? Oh, this. I would, this, easy, honestly. Easy. I would agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would agree. Um, this, this is no student film. Uh, for me, it's less dramatic. It, they're closer. To they, me. they are close. They're, the to, me, is, to me, it's close. Uh, but I would is, say that this is slightly above Hagazusa. Yeah. I feel like this movie tries both. so hard to be accessible that the ideas of this movie are more within grasp than Hagazusa, where you have very little to grab at in Hagazusa terms of is definitely ideas, more boring than you know I, I, I yeah I, I I still I still really like Hagazusa go but, listen to our episode but, about yeah, Hagazusa you know you know, you know the drill. <laughs> all right well that will give uh Gretel and Hansel a average rating of 3.2 out of five pods we are recording this on opening weekend so we don't have stats for this yet so we will uh cover that next week but we do have the results of our predictions for the turning. Yes. So Ben, please. Okay. So uh, for the turning, uh, Rotten Tomatoes score. Tease, you predicted that it would get a forty-five on Rotten Tomatoes. Cleve, you said twenty-two, and I said thirty-two. And it ended up with a 12. Hey. Holy <laughs> shit! So wow! Yeah, a little no, Number win. three for you. Yes! And uh, in terms of box office, uh, you said 13 million. Uh, okay. Cleve, you said 3 million. All right. And I said eight million, yes, and yes. it ended up getting seven million. Oh, so I get that one okay. for well my done. first point. Well done. Uh, well, nice. So one Ben's point on for the board. me, two points for Tease, three points for Cleve. We're not counting bonus points. Not yet. yet oh, not yet. Okay. At least for that one, you know. Well, yeah, because we'll, we'll Cleve... count it if there's a tie. Okay. You know, right. no, no predicted uh, ratings for this one because we did not. We do have it. early Rotten Tomatoes for this one. If oh, you want to hear. Oh no, I meant for. I meant for um, the Oh, turning. we do have predicted ratings, but like we haven't seen we it. We haven't so seen it, so it yeah, it's a, it's a moot point. Um, uh, yeah, let's not let's not do anything for Gretel and Hansel just yet. We'll save that okay, for sure, for next sure. week. Speaking of next week, <laughs> next week is Cleveland's choice, <laughs> yes, and he has been keeping us in deep suspense about his next choice for literally months now. Yes. So Cleveland, please. Illuminate us. What film are we going to be watching and talking about next week? I'm dying to know. Gentlemen, without further ado, next week we will be watching the Sentai horror film starring Mark Hamill, known as Guyver. <laughs> Whoa. We're going to be watching a Power Ranger style horror movie. I have literally I've never, never heard, heard of this, this film. Wow, this is yes. This, usually, Ben and I are the ones on the esoteric bullshit that oh, Cleveland has never boys. heard of. I went this deep. time, where the roles are reversed, I've literally never fucking heard of this film. It looks awesome. It's like if the Power Rangers got their suits from like Lovecraftian means. 
that sounds it looks dope. nutty. It that looks dope. It looks like nutty as hell. And wait, have you seen it before? I have not. Okay, so you oh, know I have about no idea if it's any good. That's that's what one of the reasons I'm really excited about is I've always wanted to see it. I've never had the chance, and now we all get to see it. Okay, we're looking at the letterbox. It's from 1991, uh-huh. and the tagline is part human, part alien, pure superpower. Super- yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, high, boys. Fuck. I have right. absolutely no idea what to expect from this. Not disappointed? Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's a little <laughs> bit too early to say, but uh, certainly not what I would have guessed. No, that's uh, maybe the last thing I would expect. <laughs> An extreme deep cut. Uh, so tune back in oh, with us next also, week. Also, I want to note that the film is directed by Steve Wang and a gentleman named Screaming Mad George. Yeah, who the <laughs> fuck is that? Get hype. He has no other backlog of films. <laughs> I cannot imagine why. All right. Uh, yeah. So next week we'll be talking about The Giver, <laughs> a Power Rangers horror film starring Mark Hamill. That should be interesting. The term is Sentai, sentai. by the way. Oh, okay. Not to be confused with hentai. We're not watching a hentai horror movie. Don't, don't no, get your hopes up or down or whatever. Notice me, Sentai. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, before we sign off for the evening, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor. That's right. We didn't have one last week. Um, yeah, this week, uh, is, is brought to you by, I mean, I had, I had, I had a sponsor and then I lost, I lost the paper. Let me see if I could find it real quick. Uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's brought to you by, by the force, the, this, the spectral space. Uh, power that moves in us all and I hope it moves you to do a good deed this week do something nice for somebody let the force guide you and or or your witch powers whatever whichever it is let you- it let it guide you to do something good or witchy uh, don't don't eat your kids are you telling me that this episode is sponsored by midi-chlorians? No, it's not. It's sponsored by the first. <laughs> and those are two different things, damn it. George Lucas would beg to differ. It's, it's sponsored by, by mythological powers, not by some sci-fi buzzword bullshit. That's what this episode is brought hey, to you by. I mean, last week I had a high midi-chlorian count, and it gave me horrible diarrhea. <laughs> so... All right, well, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show, do the thing that we always ask you to do if you haven't already. Go on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're currently listening to this, and if you have some stars that you can smash, smash as many of them as there are. Five, ten, whatever. Uh, (laughs) More like midi-boreans. They're boring. Shut the fuck up. Right. <laughs> uh, I will. You can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and on Letterbox.com slash PodPeoplePod, where you can find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for LightArc Studio as we continue to develop our wonderful horror, sci-fi, mythological, electro-fantasy game. Midichlorian. Mm, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it stares back. Um, uh, it's on, we're on Steam, and uh, we're, we're having a great time. Gearing up for uh, the the next chapter release. What could it be? Stay yeah. tuned to find indeed, out more. Indeed. We got we got time, um, but it'll, it'll be, it's coming. Yes, definitely. Uh, all right, well, nice polish on it.
Thanks for listening. As always, stay safe out there and uh, get ready for the Giver. Don't don't take candy from strangers. That's right. Goodbye. Bye.